Welcome to Tea with Culture. I'm Hind Mazena, and this episode looks at the current exhibition at NYU Abu Dhabi Art Gallery titled But We Cannot See Them, tracing a UAE art community from 1988 to 2008. This exhibition, which is on until September 2nd, looks at the role of one of the most important artistic communities in the history of the UAE that played a key role in developing and influencing artists in the country. A community that turned to one another for support and encouraged radical, formal and conceptual experimentation, despite their initial rejection by art and cultural institutions in the country. I meet Maya Allison, Bana Katan and Ala Idris, who work together on this exhibition. We begin with each guest introducing themselves before starting our conversation. I'm Maya Allison. I'm the gallery director and the chief curator at NYU Abu Dhabi. Hi, Bana Katan. I'm a, a curator at NYU AD Art Gallery. Ala Adris, the program's curator at the NYU Abu Dhabi Art Gallery. Thank you, ladies, for making time to have this chat with me. Uh, I've been wanting to talk to you probably from the early days of the exhibition, which opened in March? Yeah, March 1st. Yeah, yeah. March of 2017. And uh, I'm happy to hear it's going to be on all summer. So hopefully uh, whoever missed out from the, you know, uh, when it opened to uh, come and visit. So the exhibition is titled, But We Cannot See Them, Tracing a UAE Art Community from 1988 to 2008. And I just want to start off by saying this is probably one of the most researched exhibition I've been to in the UAE and specifically related to artists from the UAE. So, um, so congratulations, because this is not just an exhibition. There's two parts to it. There's the exhibition at the gallery, and there's also a publication, which I think is highly important, an important reference for historical reasons for you know, being more aware and knowing what's happening or what was happening in the art scene and how, where we are and why we are where we are today, right? So let's start with how did this whole thing come about? Um, this is Maya. Hello. I, um, I've always been interested in how artists um, develop community and that that community then can lead um, to creative innovation for individual artists. And this has been my interest for most of my career as a curator. When I came to the UAE, I met um, Mohammed Qasim, who then told me about um, these regular gatherings with artists who would talk about their work and just life in general, but that they sort of were each other's art school in some ways. And so he and Hassan Sharif were teaching and that he had been Hassan's student and now their students were becoming artists that they were showing with. And I was, and it really captured my imagination and I realized there's this whole art world here that already exists that I had no idea of. I knew Mohammed Qasim's name, I had heard of Hassan Sharif, but I didn't um, I didn't really understand what was under the surface there until I started talking to him. So the idea, that idea was would have been born in 2012, 2013. And then um, the over time it became clear that most people had my experience of not quite understanding how these artists fit together. And so I decided that um, this was a show that would make sense to pursue. And as I talked to Alat and to Bana about it, they also felt that this story hadn't been fully told. And so we decided together to, um, to start by researching primarily through the inter interview process. So instead of going into the archives, which is something that I think really needs doing, um, we just were doing a preliminary mapping. You know, who was, who was there, who was there, who else was there asking each of these artists um, their experience and to tell us their stories. So we kept the, the requirements very minimal. I just, we just want to know who's there, how you became an artist, what made you realize you wanted to be an artist, and why did you stay an artist? And what were sort of some key people in that process, which then allowed us to, to map out um, who would then be in the show. So the show was a product of these conversations that we were having. So speaking of the conversations, most of the book is basically based on interviews and you can feel the conversations and a lot of them were conducted by uh, Bana and Ala. And I still haven't finished the book. I mean, it's quite in, you know dense, but totally enjoyable. The, the few chapters I've gone through, I've really enjoyed the conversation and I found them quite insightful and informative and reading things that I didn't know about. And, and, and it's interesting because, you know, someone you know, I'm from here, I've lived here, and my introduction to these artists came really late. Um, and it's interesting, like, you know, this group who 
or pursuing art, but it wasn't necessarily written, or at least not in publications I was reading. Uh, definitely started when, you know, say during my school days, so I'm not that conscious of, you know, the art scene as we know it today, obviously. And, uh, but it's really, it's, it's, it's assured me that, okay, there has been an art scene, there have been people pursuing art here, and it isn't this kind of, oh, it just started because, you know, our device started, or the galleries that opened up, and there has been something happening for a long time. But yeah, unfortunately, it's not been celebrated or archived or documented enough. And I think this, to me, is with start. And I'm hoping there'll be opportunities to learn about other groups who've been doing things. Because I'm sure it's not just these the artists represented in this exhibition. Yeah, I think it's really important to to say that this is only one community. That there there are many there are many, and there have been many. And in no way is this meant to be a comprehensive history of contemporary art in the UAE. Exactly, and that's what I keep thinking when I tell people, like, this is just one small chapter in the, you know, if we're going to talk about the history of the art scene and the UAE. So with these conversations that you had with the artists, uh, Bana, could you tell me about that? Like, what was... I, I imagine you spent a lot of time because it was interviewing and then I guess transcribing and writing and editing. I don't know. Could you tell me how, how was the whole thing for you? I, I mean, we had discussed um, as, a, as, a, as a, all three of us um, how were we were planning to go into these conversations. And we had decided really early on that it would be casual um, with the goal is of just recording these stories that the artists told us about themselves and about the other artists in the community. So um, each artist kind of has a completely different story, which which was exciting to hear, but they all in a different way connect to each other. Um, and the comings and goings of all of them is what um, also inspired us to make a timeline uh, because even we were getting lost. And the experience that you were talking about from yourself uh, being from here and uh, is the same thing that Ala and I experienced. You know, we're, I'm born and raised here um, in Abu Dhabi and, and Ala in Sharjah. Um, and, uh, you know, we knew who which artists we were supposed to look up to, but we didn't know their stories. And so we went in with that uh, thirst, that wanting to just hear how and what and where and who. Um, and so that's kind of what drove the, the, the interviews. And I also want to point out that the publication is, there's two publications, one's in Arabic and one's in English. And I thought that was quite interesting as well in, in terms of, I mean, I'm assuming obviously some, most of the language, uh, most of the discussions happened in Arabic and I guess, you know, to have a, a book just in Arabic instead of just kind of the usual, you know, one side of the book is in English and the back side's translated. And so I thought that was quite interesting. But I'm interested to know um, how, was, was everything captured in the book or was there stuff that there was too much that you couldn't put in the book? Like at some point you have to edit, right? <laughs> I mean, definitely those conversations were very long and it would be impossible to put everything into one book. We'd have to publish a, a second edition or, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it was interesting, especially for the Arabic version, because there's a lack of Arabic publications, especially when it comes to art history and uh, art history books on UAE art. So it was definitely very um, insightful for us to, um, uh, and we've been getting so much uh positive feedback on these uh, on the Arabic book especially because uh, this is a resource for um, UAE contemporary art history and for the coming generations as well to know this history and to study it and um, this research is definitely not finished there's so much to explore still but uh, we're getting started I think we're um, I have a question for you Ella I remember in the beginning you telling me how surprised you were at some of the stories that you were hearing could you can you remember what surprised you in those early interviews as you were as we were learning about these artists that we thought we knew i mean yeah sure when i went to art school uh i know these artists uh we didn't really study them thoroughly uh in art history um but getting those sort like hearing those stories from the artists firsthand and uh, knowing about their struggle as an artist or all the ups and downs or you know many of them are world famous now they're in biennials and um, museums like big uh, collections um, it, wa it wasn't always this easy for them to uh, reach that point and it was really interesting for me as well as an artist uh, to hear those stories and um, it was very inspiring um, there are so many different sides, you know, like 
they're not it wasn't easy for them to be who they are now so I, I I was really inspired by the the intersections so you would hear the artist's life story um, and then you would hear a co another artist's completely different life story but there were always nuggets that both people had and you know that that was a, an, an, an important moment for the whole community um, when you heard it from six different people um, and you know that also happened with with uh, you know Jos Clevers every single one of the people that we would interview would tell us we have to fold him back into the history because he passed away um, but also because he was non-Emirati uh, because he was such a big part of starting fine everybody had a different reason as to why but he kept coming up and that's just one thing that kept coming up there were so many of those really important pieces of information that really make this book special and what stood out for me was how a lot of these artists in the early days, they weren't embraced, they weren't celebrated because they were seen as making art that wasn't conventional, wasn't traditional. And, you know, they weren't, uh, they weren't, uh, you know, they were mocked, they were kind of sidelined and, and almost kind of made it extra difficult for them because if they wanted to exhibit, there weren't spaces for them. And if they just wanted to put on something randomly outdoors in the public, they were told they had to get permission and it's the same with the writing and you know because uh, as an example I remember with the poetry and the style she was writing that wasn't supported and and to me I was intrigued by the fact that it was only after recognition from abroad that I felt then the respect started happening here in the UAE uh, at home and and this kind of wow okay so they needed to be respected or acknowledged by abroad and specifically the West for it to be seen as, oh, okay, no, no, they're doing something that we need to uh, celebrate and, and, and embrace. Do you think this has changed or is this an ongoing thing where it's only when someone's trying to do something, you know, like I'm an artist or trying to get support or attention and it isn't there, but only when, you know, the so-called expertise and usually that's seen as someone, you know, from the West approves it, then it's like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, we should, we should support this. A lot of these artists, they only started getting gallery representation pretty much like, what, mid to late 2000, right? Even in 2013, they still didn't have gallery representation. Um, and so I thought I was, it was just quite fascinating that there's this huge divide about kind of the so-called Emirati artists. So if it's not the traditional paintings of, you know, homes and people and versus kind of this conceptual art and these very experimental or avant-garde in, in some people's eyes. And, and I don't know, do you... Do you uh, and obviously now there's this generation of artists who are, who are you know, pursuing conceptual art and performance art, etc. But I don't know, what was any, any kind of thoughts or anything you can shed on, on, on this kind of the acceptance that came from outside the UAE before being accepted here? Um, I think there are so many layers to that. Uh, when these artists were starting and they were very active late 80s and early 90s, there were not that many organizations and institutions in the UAE that supported art. There were a very um, limited number uh, of places to exhibit their work or um, places to um, uh, have their studios. And, um, and then like 10 years after that, um, the art landscape changed completely with commercial galleries, art fairs, different um, art-dedicated institutions and biennials. Um, so uh, that definitely um, uh, helped change why these artists uh, got more recognition later on and not when they first started. So in some ways, they're pioneers, right? There wasn't the infrastructure for mm -hmm. that kind of validation that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. So they were each other's validation and infrastructure. And really, the, the annual show at the Emirates Fine Arts Society in Sharjah was the moment every year when they could show. But the rest of the time, it was pretty hit and miss. It's not like they were being rejected. It just wasn't really, there wasn't really necessarily many places to show. Um, uh, I was uh, really struck by Vivek's story when he comes to the Sharjah Biennial in 94 95 and um and he says you know i'm at this biennial and you know all these artists that they're showing are from other countries but there's this one artist whose work who's from the uae that speaks to me and that's mohammed ahmed ibrahim and that story is really remarkable because he's he's just he's desperately looking for uh, a local art community that he can relate to and, and because of that one little moment of visibility in the Sharjah Biennial, he was able to make that connection and the, and the community grew. So those exhibitions were really critical to um, 
points where the where the community could connect and find each other and and I think that the the connecting points finding where they were connecting when it wasn't at a Sharjah exhibition was the real that was the mystery that we set out to solve yeah but I recall reading when say so-called uh, you know reviews of the work or exhibitions and again it wasn't uh, necessarily re uh, looked at positively and uh, and basically being seen as work that's not going to be accepted by our community and uh, this isn't something that reflects our characteristics etc you know just again this very kind of very internal look at work and 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 I know I, th I think in one of the interviews it said that a lot of these writers weren't necessarily even writers with any artist background they were just journalists they just turn up at an exhibition look at work they don't get it and they just kind of write that so uh, maybe not much has changed <laughs> on that front here in the UAE but um, but I'm amazed that yes there was in within this group that they kind of stuck through it and they were their own they were each other's critics and supporters and nurturing yeah uh, and and Hassan Shaif has been quoted uh, several times saying that he's not just creating his art he's also creating his audience so he was a really big believer in talking about art and also writing so he wrote about his art and he wrote about everybody in this community's art plus more um, and he continued even writing about younger generations uh, later and so I think that that played a really big role in in the discussion that needed to happen um, for these artists but for the community in general and uh, and I always think about kind of the role of the female artists in this time in history and within this particular group and I'm interested to know what other names came up who weren't necessarily part of this group who were kind of doing their own thing they had their own style but who else and because my wish now is the next exhibition and hint hint Maya no well whoever's listening to focus on female artists and maybe not just the UAE but in the Gulf and just kind of the role of contemporary artists um, and you know what's their story but yeah I mean back to this group uh, and, I mean in the exhibition we've got Ibtisam Abdelaziz who also has you know, she's played a significant role in terms of kind of where she fits in in the story, and Jumal Ghanem, and obviously the title is based on one of her poems. Um, but yeah, any other names that came up that uh, I'm always interested because I'm not familiar with too many female artists apart from the names that we're always exposed to. I mean, other names that came up uh, in the conversations were uh, Leila Juma. Uh, Huda Saeed, um, Dr. Najat Makki, Dr. Najat Makki, definitely. Um, many other names came as well, but um, I think the only names that were repeated uh, were the ones that were consistent and did not, you know, like uh, come and go, because there were so many others as well. And in the um, uh, in the larger group of these uh, artists and poets. Uh, and writers, Huda Khamis and Dabia Khamis names came up as well. Khaja, I think. Khaja, yeah. So it basically included not just uh, artists, but writers and yeah. poets yeah. and uh, community. Yeah. yeah. And that was another thing that was really important is that the community really didn't distinguish itself by separating visual artists from poets and that they would talk about each other as a unit, not mm. as the poets or the visual artists. But also, it's interesting to think about now the flip, because since that the sort of sea change from 27 to 2011, I would say, we we now see more women artists, and where are all the men? Like, and I feel like there's a so sociological answer as much as anything. But yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, today most of the um, artists, at least you know UAE artists, they're female. Uh, um, and it almost kind of it's, it's it's different when you look when people talk about you know where's the female representation uh, of you know in museums and institutions abroad but over here it's pretty much you know the the core presence of artists are female artists and yeah wh why is that and a part of it is again how should I phrase this kind of it's not important enough so that's why the females are working you know as artists I, I don't know it's really <laughs> it's it's probably a, a discussion worth having but. I don't know. It's always something I think about, and when I bring it up, there's, there's never enough uh, of a satisfying answer for me. But it's something I guess we'll you know, carry on asking. Um, now, one of the things that I'm amazed, and it, we men you mentioned it earlier, is this timeline that you talked about, which is included in the publication, and it's almost like a metro map, kind of that layout of um, names and places and time, and the, you know, and the meeting points, and that must have been 
one hell of a task <laughs> to work on. So, uh, and I believe Banner is to be credited. Am I right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so well but done to you. It, it was uh, it was gathered from yeah. the, the the all the research that we did all together, um, and uh, it was I think Maya's idea to make it like a subway map uh, to actually design it as a subway map. I mean, mine was a really boring Excel document <laughs> that nobody ever wants to look at again, um, and uh, and so the 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 reason that. Um, the subway map emerged was because we were very um, concerned with showing the movement in between um, these artists' lives as well as where they were showing. So there's kind of, it's it's almost um, supposed to be a visual piece rather than something that you actually want to read um, or study um, more than, you know, because if you look at it, it's, it's not actually that easy to read. Um, but the point was to look at, to look for patterns. So, uh, one of the main patterns that I love to show when I give tours, um, is the, the coloring, um, of the, of the cities. So, um, on the X axis, there is, um, uh, not only can you follow an artist's through the timeline, you can also follow a city and how much a city was doing during that timeline in terms of these artists and their art scene. And so if you look at the Dubai line, you notice a big explosion um, right around 2006, which shows a lot about the infrastructure that was happening in the UAE, which goes back to you know a previous chat um, that you guys were having about infrastructure. And it's also why we decided to close the exhibition in 2008 because of the arrival of the Flying House. Um, and so uh, in a way, our exhibition revolves around um, the arts infrastructure. Um, and so it makes it really obvious in the timeline. And that's just one of the patterns. It basically starts right after Hassan Sharif founds the atelier where he starts teaching in Dubai and it ends when the, when the crop of artists that he trains has matured and they found the flying house at the end. So it's a really, and you can really actually physically see it on the map, like a blossoming flower, basically. And uh, the other thing mm -hmm. uh, I saw uh, published uh, is a, a children's guidebook, um, which is a nice pattern I'm noticing with your gallery, with each exhibition, there's a children's guidebook, which engages with the younger audience in terms of kind of learning about the artists and making, you know, and even giving space in the book itself to draw and color, etc. So Ala, I believe you worked on this guidebook. Can you tell us about it? Uh, yes, uh, I worked closely with uh, illustrator Ali Shamsi to uh, design and develop content for this uh, exhibition. Um, uh, the idea was to find a way to explain the show and how artists' um, communities form in a very uh, simple way for kids to understand and add um, content that would enhance their learning of the artworks that are on display here in the exhibition. So the idea was for the uh, the student or the child uh, to uh, is to become part of that community. So we have all the artists introduce themselves and introduce uh, something specific about their work and their artistic practice, and then go on a journey uh, and explore a certain a specific work uh, by these artists, and then uh, do an activity that goes along with it, um, uh, in the hopes of you know. Um, further enhancing the understanding of the work because a lot of these artworks are conceptual and might be a little bit challenging for a younger student to understand. So we try to find ways uh, to uh, make connections between the work, the concept of the work and also the, the students. No, I mean, it's, uh, it's true about understanding the work because I remember a few years ago and I don't know, how, I'm sure this came up in your research. So I don't know if it was mid early 2000 or mid 2000, there was a retrospective for Hassan Sharif in Abu Dhabi and it was in kind of this makeshift, uh, it was, uh, yeah, I couldn't remember the exact date and I remember I have to go to this because I know he's a UA artist, I don't know much about him and I need to go and see this work. And I went in and I left not knowing anything more than when I went in. There was no written material, there was no catalog, and it was all his work, which, you know, is usually kind of like collected uh, items, you know, piles of cardboard and piles of uh, I know, kind of discarded materials. I'm like, I don't understand. I don't know. And I just did not have the knowledge. And there was nothing in that exhibition that enriched me to know 
more about it. And uh, and I'll never forget that I left. I'm like I drove all the way from from Dubai to come to this, and I left really disappointed because he's at that time his name was being more and more known. And and I'm like, but I don't get it. It's just a part of stuff, but I, I don't understand what's the thinking process behind it. And I mean, obviously, a lot has changed now. And now to think, you know, young children who come now to see this exhibition to see a lot of work, which is very conceptual, and a lot of it's yes, it's discarded material, it's colored. And it's like, why is there a pile of cardboard, you know, on the ground? <laughs> why is there like a, a shelf with like flip flops? And so it's interesting, kind of, to see. Obviously, now there's more effort in trying to put more information to to reach out to audience members. So let me tell you a little bit about okay. how we conceptualize the layout of the show. Um, one of the challenges that we've seen is that most people aren't aware that this community was arts plural, not just visual arts. And so one of the things that was really critical for us to do was to do an exhibition that shows, you know, the some critical intersections of these artists, key moments in their exhibition history. But we also wanted to expand it to give a feeling for the conversations that they were having and um, and in particular their relationship to poets and writers and musicians and theater and so on. So through our programs and also through a section of the exhibition we're calling the Reading Room, we were able to expand the coverage of the arts community and a lot was taking the lead on that in terms of everything beyond the strict visual arts exhibition section. So, yes. so um, uh, uh, a very important member of that community is uh, writer and uh, novelist and poet Adel Khazam. So we worked closely with him to curate a selection of books that these artists were reading at the time. Uh, and he also, so he very generously uh, provided us with uh, books from his own library, uh, books about philosophy, visual arts, uh, history, so many different things, um, and uh, music cassettes that these artists um, used to listen to at that uh, period. So uh, all of us, all the curators together, we worked um, to design a room that would be uh, um, a very welcoming space for the public to come and enjoy a book and also uh, get a sense of the exhibition or listen to the music. And uh, uh, I think uh, we were successful in that. Uh, our reading room is very popular, uh, especially with the NYU community. Uh, well, that's great. It's great to hear that these students are actually coming and spending time. It was it's definitely one of my favorite parts of the exhibition. Obviously, I mean, there's you know, a lot of good work. But the idea of kind of seeing what did artists read and what did they listen to, I love that. And it's almost like, like wait, why aren't more exhibitions doing this? You know, or listening, like, what's the playlist going? You know, what did uh, what inspired them to, to make work, etc. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's a great space. And yeah, it's like a little mini library and, and books in English, books in Arabic, and even the music. I, I noticed there were kind of like Iranian artists and Khaliji uh, singers etc so it was a really interesting mix and and just kind of curious wow who listened to what and when and this little kind of mini archive of their brains right and what was stimulating them and and, and inspiring them and complementing the exhibition and the publication obviously was uh, programming which included screenings um, so could you tell us about that so um, for our programming for this exhibition, uh, we organized a series of film screenings by Najum Al-Ghanim that was in dialogue with the National Pavilion of uh, UAE in Venice. And uh, we showed some of the films that were never shown before in the UAE, some of her earlier work, her short films and two feature films. And we had a panel discussion with uh, an eminent scholar from the Taba Foundation uh, that was after the Al Murid documentary on a uh, Sufi Sheikh in the UAE. Uh, we also organized uh, three monthly family workshops uh, inspired by artists in the show that were facilitated by Marathi artist and children's uh, books illustrator Wafa Ibrahim. Uh, we also, uh, for the first time at NYU, uh, we organized uh, an Emirati, an experimental Emirati uh, theater, uh, by written by uh, Jamal Matar, a very uh, famous Emirati uh, playwright and uh, poet, um, that was in, in collaboration with the Art Center. Um, so that was definitely a first, um, it was the first time for us to organize um, a theater program and it was the first time for uh, the NYU in general to present uh, an Emirati uh, play. 
What was the response to the the experimental play? Unfortunately, I missed it. I couldn't make my way to Abu Dhabi then. And that's the shame, right? Like I live in another city. I know it's an hour and a half drive, but I just couldn't make it that evening. And uh, yeah, it was a shame because it was just scheduled for one night, right? Yeah. So what was the response? Uh, the turnout was great. There were so many people. A lot of them had so many questions, especially about Emirati theater, about the different um, visual arts, its connection to this community, like um, playwrights, and how um, many of these uh, members of these um, communities, they work together. For example, the, the playwright Jamal Matar was, uh, went to school with... Uh, Hussein Sharif, and they both studied theater in Kuwait. So they're all, and Jamal Matar is friends with Adel Khazam, who curated the selection for the reading room. So you can really see the connection and the, the strong links between uh, uh, this community and the different um, parts, you know, like visual arts, um, literature, theater. They all come together. Yeah, it's interesting, right? Kind of this touching points between different artists and this, you know, collaborative, working together. Uh, um, and just to clarify to listeners, Nujum uh, Al-Ghanem's film screenings, as you said, was done to kind of tie in with the UA Pavilion because she's one of the artists at the uh, UA Pavilion currently at the Venice Biennale. All right, so let's talk about the actual exhibition itself. Okay, so as we mentioned, you know, we did a lot of preliminary interviews and conversations and just mapping the landscape, you know, who are these artists and how do they relate to each other and and where are we going to draw the sort of the line, the parameter around what we're going to call this community, you know. Um, and in the course of these interviews, it became pretty clear who were the, the core members of the group that we were looking at, and they overlap with other communities. Um, but then how do you how does that become an exhibition? And this is where we really got stuck. We could do a series of recreations of particular exhibitions through time, or we could do each artist sort of has a section and we give them a little mini survey. Um, I had a couple of sort of crazy uh, layout ideas where we're trying to recreate Hassan Sharif's patio where they had their conversations, you know, and you know, just really trying to think how are we going to do this show because it's not a retrospective when we really want to show their interconnections. Um, and then I think, how did we end up coming to the idea that we Basically, had? we ended up doing what Maya was mentioning as the first two ideas, which is recreating the important exhibitions uh, that we found in their in their timelines um, and giving each person a section while leading one art, leading the visitor from one artist to the next. Right. So in the first room, you'll have Hassan Sharif's work on the right and Mohammed Ahmed Ibrahim's work on the left. They showed in you know multiple shows over these two decades. Every single year they showed together. So putting them together could be a recreation of any number of shows. So we tried to do representative work from each of their styles during this period. Um, and in one particular very straightforward way, we have um, Hassan Sharif's painting of a sculpture by Mohammed Ahmed Ibrahim. So there, are, you know, so immediately we set up this dialogue. This artist is painting the work of that artist. Um, and that they've clearly been in the same room together, even if you don't read any text. And then we, um, the next artist is Joss Clevers, whose work um, really inspired a particular type of wire sculpture by Hassan Sharif. So you can see the Hassan Sharif-Joss Clevers connection. And in that same area is uh, Vivek Velasini, who's this uh, really important artist for this community during the 90s. And the five, what we think of as the five, um, minus Abdullah al-Sadi, showed together with Vivek Velasini and Joss Clevers in 1996. And this is a really watershed moment for our exhibition. We sort of centered the whole story around this 1996 moment when um, Joss Clevers, Vivek Velasini, both Mohammeds <laughs> and, um, and Hussein Sharif all showed at the Sharjah Art Museum. And, and Mohammed uh, Abdullah, sorry, Abdullah Saadi was part of this uh, community at that time, but he was in Japan for that moment. Right. So that's the only reason why he wasn't in the exhibition. And then later there were other exhibitions called The Five that included Abdullah and excluded, you know, another person. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and throughout the, starting in the early 90s, there was, there was a five show, there was a four show, there was a six show, there was later a seven show, there was two other five shows. And so there was always this question of the number of artists changing. Um, but that moment, that 1996 show of six of these eight artists, um, was a critical moment for us and we actually recreated some of the works from that show and we were able to pull up 
some of the works that were in that show. So that's as close to recreating a moment as we, as we came. And then for Abdullah Al Sadi and Hussein Sharif, they had a two-person show in 1999, and we have the actual work that was in that show, um, or a variation on it in Hussein's case. Um, so you get so so there is these little moments where these artists kind of come together, and the Muhammad Kazim and Abdisam Abdulaziz had a duo show together also. You have to remind me the year. It was in Sharjah. And yeah, but two th early two thousands. Yeah, and um, and so we we pulled the work that was in those two shows together. So you really have these moments where you see pairings and groupings as they would have existed at the time, throughout this primarily this ten year period. We really sort of zero in on the nineties for most of the show. And so in a way we in, are kind of um, leading the viewer as you're walking through the exhibition from one artist to the other. So as you're walking through, we um, challenge you to find these uh, um, small connections between each artist that leads you to the next one. And when I'm giving the when I'm giving the tour of the show, one of the funny conversations Banna and I had as the show was getting ready to open was Banna was like, how are we gonna give this tour? I mean we haven't really even talked about the work. We're just talking about the artist's stories. And I was like, yeah, that's the tour. The tour is this work looks like it's related to Joss Clever's work and you can see their influence on each other. And this artist helped this artist in this moment. And, and each of the artworks actually tells a story about the relationship of that artist to his peer artists, which is a very um, atypical way to talk about art because we usually talk about it aesthetically. And I still do have to explain to a visitor when they walk in why there's a pile of cardboard on the floor. And so I talk about the philosophy of um, art that was very strong for Hassan Sharif, which is that art must not be useful. And the minute you try to make art useful for something, it's not art anymore. And the act of wrapping cardboard, which is inherently not valuable, and spending all that time making it valuable by turning it into art, um, is a really critical part of his philosophy and that is what manifests throughout the show and so aesthetically they may look really different but they're coming from a shared root understanding or agreement about the value of art in its in and of itself separate from the content or the material that it's made from. Uh, so yeah I mean uh, that quote by Hassan Sharif has come up a lot and and I find it ironic now because now his work there's a huge value to it yeah. it is something you know people are you know whether it's being acquired it's in muse in museums and I don't know uh, I still haven't read the chapter where he's interviewed and I know it's based on an older interview because obviously you don't have a chance to speak to him because unfortunately that's when he was in hospital and he passed away whilst you guys were still figuring out this exhibition but I've always been, you know, any insights on kind of what was his response to how his work today compared to when he started, where he's like, you know, I'm making something, you know, art loses its meaning if it becomes something where now it is actually, you know, it's, it's, it's desired, it's collected, it's got value. I do have, um, he, he very specifically said it can, you can buy it, you can appreciate it, it can be worth a lot of money, but that's different from asking it to do something that's okay. not art. So asking it to be, for example, a lot of things that artists today think art should be, activist, responding to issues, expressing the artist's position on something. These are all things that he was sort of asked to do and refused. You know, he's and he said, this is, you know, there's a place for, for example, um, interacting with your heritage. This is me interacting with my heritage and it's not gonna, you know, dialogue with other people's expectations. Um, and he did, but, but Nujum Al-Ghanim tells a very funny mm -hmm. story. Um, yeah, Nujum actually talks about Hassan a lot. Um, and in the interview, I encourage you to read it. It's, uh, it's in there, in the book. Um, she talks about how Hassan, you know, never expected to get the attention that he got in his lifetime. Um, he never expected for, uh, for his, uh, um, in a way, um, fame um, and so uh, he he almost kind of was shocked but also laughed about it you know he was like uh, he was taken aback um, I also want to encourage Maya to tell the story uh, that Vivek told us um, when we interviewed him in Kochi uh, about uh, Hassan's relationship with Abdullah and how um, Hassan in a way um, felt like his students what was his Biggest, uh, go ahead, Maya. Maya can say this I can't story, but okay. 
Now you must tell me. No. You mentioned it's that so, emotional. No, I, I have to hear it. I, I, meant, I have to compose myself because just thinking about it makes me cry. This exhibition um, made us cry many times, by oh, the way. Wow. The stories are really powerful, really. We're not yeah. that weak. Oh, yeah. yeah, I'm weak. I'm a total oh. wimp. But you also, I thought you were going to talk about how Najum said that... Uh, he he would laugh that he'd become bourgeois. Yes, I, I didn't want to. I want I want people to. I want to. I keep wanting to uh, get people to read it. Yeah. You know, especially Nujuma. I mean, the way she speaks, the the words that she uses, and the like, she is just such a powerful, powerful speaker. But yes, that was it. <laughs> so um, so Vivek Velasini lived very closely with Hassan Sharif for for many much of the nineties, um, and he watched him and his relationship with these artists develop. And he, he said that when Hassan first sold work, it was to um, Doha. Oh, oh, Hassan, Sheikh Hassan from, from Doha, which is now part of the Mataf collection. Yeah, and so he sold a bunch of work, really important work by Hassan Sharif from the 90s. And that, that um, Hassan said he couldn't believe that this Sheikh bought his work and that he really has a lot of, guts to do that and that he just couldn't believe anyone would spend you know actually buy this work that he thinks is valuable but um and that was a really great moment but that he really didn't think he'd make it in his lifetime and he never expected to um get the kind of respect that he got and in the 90s his position was that the artists that he was teaching were his works of art and that he would sort of help them grow as artists and then set them loose set them free into the world to go forth and make the art of the next generation and that he would make it possible um it however it was in his power he would make it possible for them to become great artists and that that would be his greatest work of art would be those artists it's interesting to know that how Hassan Sharif kind of he doesn't want his art to be categorized or defined and like you said you know he's making art because for the love of it and something he wants to make versus it's you know these statements right and and i think meaning comes into play based on viewers and when you see it and you know in time of your life and what's going on around you and and yeah what could be seen as where well, was this pile of cardboard on the ground what you know it could have several meanings right it's talking it is talking you know it could be about environment it could be about collecting it could be about preserving right and and um well, I think that's the beauty of art, right? Is to, to create these discussions. And uh, but just knowing that from Hassan Sharif's point of view, that there's no the only motive of making art is just to make art, right? And 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 him and his kind of and this language. I think it was his language to communicate with people. I, I feel I know does that make sense? Uh, like that's his communication. Because based on uh, what I've heard about him, and I've only met him twice, and in just in group gatherings, I've never really had a one-on-one -on -one conversation with him, but. I've heard so many times people say he lived and breathed and ate, you know, it was art. He, from the moment he woke up to the time he slept, and that could be, you know, not our regular hours. Like, he, and it's, a, it, I remember Dujum says in the book, like he woke up when he woke, wanted to, except when he, you know, and, and he just kind of his, had his own schedule and his own timing and way of doing things. And, you know, it's not, and he, you know, he doesn't have family, so it's not like, you know, the wife and the children, so none of that's in his life. And his, his legacy is his art, right? And and him making work, and I feel that's his way of communicating with us. And yeah. So so one of the things that would happen, one of the things Sorry. that happened a lot during these interviews and in general with these shows is that it becomes a story about Hassan Sharif. And one of the important things to remember is that um, he was incredibly charismatic, and he was sort of one of the anchors of this community. But what he was doing in his work was actually not the same thing as what each of the other artists were doing. They were each doing different things. And I think they did share this, um, this idea that there's a pure communication that happens with an art, with art and, a, and in the inherent value of that impulse in a human being. Um, and I think that, for example, because of his teaching, um, you know, Eptisam had the breakthrough that she had that led her to, to do the kind of work that she does because she got permission to follow her true north when it came to what her art was. Um, but all of, many of the artists in this show will use discarded material, what looks like trash, um, but in each case it means something totally different. So in with Abdullah al-Sadi, he's collecting cans and these little bits of his life and those become autobiography. They're very narrative. They're they're heavily narrative pieces. Whereas Hassan Sharif's is skew narrative. There's no narrative. It's just the work on the floor, and that is the narrative. 
and with Hussein Sharif, his brother, also collecting bits from the world around him and creating these installations. And it's not an autobiographical narrative, nor is it devoid of narrative. It's actually um, somewhat theatrical and there's and it's got this operatic quality. I mean, there's really a sense of opera in his work that I don't see in any of the other work. And then with Muhammad Qasim, he's he is tracking his landscape almost mathematically and conceptually. And again, though, he's pulling from the world around him and, and taking pictures of trash. I mean, that's where the GPS starts. And I think that they, so they're all really interacting with the world quite differently. And I think that's important. You know, and that leads perfectly into Ibtissam, which is, right. you know, there's only two other, three other people that you didn't mention that are in the show. Yeah. I mean, uh, Ibtissam from Muhammad is so, it's so clear. And Ibtissam, in a way, her addition in this community is so um, important because... Uh, in a way, she is leads us to our next generation. So she's definitely part of this community, but she comes in the later half of the community. And her work is um, is uh, her her teacher. I, I I mean to say was Muhammad and Hassan, but almost more Muhammad Qasim. And uh, versus everybody else, um, their teacher was more Hassan um, than each other as well. But um, and so to see the the, the mathematical gathering uh, that's in Muhammad's style, um, so easily connected, but also completely different, just like the rest of them, and Ibtissam is adding that layer of, uh, you know, our, adding to our future in a way. And I, I have one more thing on this teaching front, which is that um, we, you know, sort of brought back into this history Joss Clevers, who was actually the same age as Hassan Sharif. So he was also a teacher in many ways. He was Hassan's peer rather than his student. Um, and Ahmed Rashid Tani was a poet in Korfakan, who was also more of Hassan's generation um, and who mentored uh, uh, Muhammad Ahmed Ibrahim and Abdullah Asadi when they were first starting out. So in fact, Hassan wasn't the only teacher. And I think that that's something else that gets lost the minute you take poetry out of the story because the po there was a sort of this poet patriarch to, of, of the avant-garde in the way that Hassan was for the visual arts. All right, so with the role of teaching and mentoring and supporting, which we've seen has had a huge impact for these the artists that are in this exhibition and its influence on artists like Ibtissam and the artists have, that have come after. Um, and I guess the Flying, how, uh, the flying House probably plays a role so the existence of it because that's when it became the place for people to go and see oh I want to see art by you know Emirati artist and and that was kind of the go-to place right because there's no obviously museums and I think that house created a new chapter leading to where we are today do you want to talk about this yeah so when um when Joss Clevers and Abdul Rahim Sharif Hassan's brother uh together with the rest of this community talked about forming the Flying House and some decided to become a part of it and some didn't. And then they brought in other young artists who were sort of part of the community at the time. And the one defining feature was that they had to be Emirati and it was definitely an avant-garde kind of uh, exhibition space. Um, but they were really at that point talking about promoting the artists, finding sales for them, and really kind of activating their market in a way that had not really been pursued up until that point. Um, and this is really, Joss Clevers was a big part of that. And at that point, they hired Christiana DeMarchi, who is a poet um, and also, as it turns out, secretly an artist. And she became, um, in many ways, a critical figure bridging this, um, this generation to the next. So she started interpreting and writing about the work of these artists, um, which became a really big part of how English-speaking curators got access to the community and... and and the younger artists that were showing there became kind of associated with this movement. So then we have, that's when we have um, the next generation after Eptisam basically are showing there. And Eptisam made a, made a choice when she became an artist. She realized that this community had had a pretty hard time and she had to ask herself this question, am I going to subject myself to the kind of struggles that they've been through? And she decided that she would and she committed to that journey. And I think that she might have been the last person to sort of have that kind of questioning and that once the flying house happened and the commitment to the uh the uae cultural development beyond Sharjah, then you start to see artists sort of more easily becoming artists getting more support um and a, and a new generation is born but they're all responding to very similar questions which is what is 
this world that we're in that's changing so fast. And you see in the artists today a, a real mix of artists, but many of them seem to be dealing with this identity question of who am I, where am I, what is this world around me? And you can see that in this first generation as well. Um, but one of the things that I really love is this, this sort of mirroring of the 90s when we had an intersection of, you know, we have Joss Clevers from Holland and Vivek from India, and then the artists are coming and going from Japan and, and Kuwait, and they're all, you know, there's a lot of coming and going happening in the 90s and cross sections, and now you see that again with the current generation with um, uh, Vikram Devecha, and, and um, this, the current UAE pavilion is really interesting that way because you have a, a real mix of people in a way that I think is very much reflecting the truth of the artistic community in the UAE, um, where there's a very active Emirati population that is extremely cosmopolitan and really in dialogue with many different parts of the world. So, I think, I mean, the, the lineage to me is goes back to Maya's story about Hassan that Vivek told us, where Hassan, um, his goal was to, to, his biggest artwork would be his students and that they, and then, you know, his students like Abdullah Saadi and Muhammad, Muhammad Ahmed Ibrahim and Muhammad Qasim, all of them, they were artists, yes, but they, but none of them were full-time artists. They all had other jobs. Um, and so then comes Ibtisam. She was the first uh, from that group that had a full-time job as an artist, but she didn't study art. She studied mathematics. And the next generation after that, now they're actually studying arts. And in between, even, you know, there's this whole, there isn't uh, an arts program uh, that's extensive in the UAE yet. I mean, there are, but not, not as much as we would hope. Um, but there is, you know, design and architecture. So a lot of, um, you know, uh, the artists that are now in their 30s, they, most of them have design degrees or architecture degrees. But the artists that are in their 20s, they're actually studying art. So, I mean, that lineage to me is showing the future. I guess that's a good way to end our conversation. Uh, thank you, Maya, Bana, and I really enjoyed this discussion. And I urge listeners in the UAE to make their way to Abu Dhabi, to the NYU uh, Abu Dhabi Art Gallery, to uh, visit the exhibition, But We Cannot See Them, tracing a UAE art community 1988 to 2008, and get your hand on the book. Can you quickly tell us how can, if they can't make their way to the gallery. Is the book available to buy online or in shops? Yes, it's available online through the usual online retailers, and it is going to be sold uh, throughout the bookstores in the UAE as well. Right now, it's only in the um, NYU Abu Dhabi bookstore. So yeah, definitely get your hand on the book. Very valuable. And yes, if you have an opportunity to see the exhibition, do visit and then end it by sitting in the... Uh, mini library and read the books and listen to the cassette tapes uh, that are included in the exhibition. Thank you for listening to this episode. You can subscribe, download and listen to Tea with Culture on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud and Stitcher. If you like this episode, please rate it and leave a review. Let us know what you think. You can also follow Tea with Culture on Twitter. Thanks again and until next time.